Mark, uh, the seventh chapter. And today we read uh, verses 1 through 13 from Mark chapter 7. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of the disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandments of God and hold to the traditions of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you should have gained from me is korban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Unwritten rules, unwritten rules. How many of you have ever run into an unwritten rule? Uh, every group has unwritten rules, norms that are known by everyone inside the group, but not known by those outside the group. And when outsiders enter um, in, into, into an office or into a home or even into a congregation, there are unwritten norms that are followed. Every group, every system has these unwritten norms or these unwritten rules. For example, taking your shoes off at the door. Sometimes people do have a sign that says, please remove your shoes, but sometimes they don't. And the expectation is that when you enter into the house, you take your shoes off, right? Maybe an unwritten rule. One home might have a certain rule, another home may not have a certain rule, so sometimes we're careful as we enter into a new situation because we don't know what those unwritten rules are. One Sunday, I walked outside after a service when I was pastoring in New York, and it was one of my very first Sundays there, and there was a lady, uh, 70, about 70 years old, and she was in the parking lot, and she was smoking a cigarette in the parking lot. And when she saw that I saw her, it was really funny. All of a sudden, she turned this, this woman who's about 70 years old turned into a 16-year-old girl who had just been caught by the principal. <laughs> and it was very comical as she tried to immediately extinguish the cigarette and hide it from me. Because here's the pastor. She thought, oh no, I've been caught. 
I've been caught by the pastor. I went up to Sherry, I put my hand on her shoulder, and I said, you don't have to hide that from me. You don't have to hide that from me. And from that moment on, we became best friends. And I would go into her house, and I would sit at her dining room table, and her dining room table was Grand Central Station for that community that we lived in. She was a pillar of that community. And there she would smoke, and then people would enter into the house, and I would meet people. And then she would say, hey, this is our pastor. You should come to church. But she thought that she was breaking an unwritten rule. Jesus was called out for not obeying man-made rules. Man-made rules. And in our gospel lesson, we see that the Jewish people followed rules of ritual washing of hands and utensils. And here's the thing, these rules are not found written in the Old Testament, at least to the extent that they enforced it. They were man-made rules, man-made regulations. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Now we would assume, yeah, that's a good idea. It's, it's, it's good hygiene to, to wash your hands before you eat. Was that a rule in your house when you were growing up that before you came to the dinner table you had to wash up? It's not a bad rule. But they were really not concerned with, with, with hygiene or germs. They were concerned with, with tradition, rules and regulations that are not even... In God's word. For the Pharisees and the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders, and when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as washing of, of cups and of pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And then the Pharisees asked Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but, but they eat with defiled hands? The gospel lesson teaches us that the, Jew, the Jewish people taught as doctrines the rules of men. Not the rules of God, but the rules of men. Why did the Jewish people follow these man-made rules? Well, in addition to the Old Testament, they, they had uh, the, the Jewish oral law or the Jewish oral tradition. It was commandments added to the commandments. It was rules on top of rules. It was intended to put a fence around the written law so that the written law would never be broken. So in order to keep the written law from being broken, they, they made all of these traditions and all of these extra rules which were attached to the law. So these people were bound by the law. They were weighed down by the law. Even the teachings of the scribes during that time had to do with the meticulous details of making sure that you followed the law perfectly and that nobody would ever break the commandments. People were weighed down. And Jesus had a problem with this. He had a problem with this because they were actually uh, ignoring the written law 
to keep their own man-made rules, regulations, and traditions. Because of these man-made rules and regulations and traditions, they actually neglected the more important aspects of God's word. And there's a lesson here for us. Let's stick to God's word. Let's stick to God's word. Let's be careful to never, to never add anything to God's word. To never add any unbiblical requirement or regulation to people which actually weighs people down. And this is what we call legalism within the church. Some issues of morality are black and white. It has been written in the scriptures. It is clear. We stand upon the word of God. But other issues aren't as clear. These are the gray areas of life. The Pharisees stood on their man-made tradition to the extreme. They focused so much on their tradition that Jesus rebuked them. Jesus used the words of the prophet Isaiah... This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. In summary, Jesus said, you leave the commandments of God and hold to to the traditions of men. Scribes and the Pharisees were so concerned about their man-made traditions that they neglected the actual law of the Lord, which is found in the Ten Commandments. There is one standard upon which we stand, and that standard is the inerrant Word of God. There we take our stand. Upon the inerrant Word of God, we never compromise. God's word is our rock, and upon that rock we stand. There is uh, something that we use, as uh, theologians use, it's a word I'm going to teach you because most of you probably do not know this word, and this applies to my friend Sherry Donaldson. That word is adiaphora. How many of you ever ever heard the word adiaphora? I have one in here, okay? Two. I always hope that you know that word. You've been to seminary, Phil. Yeah, you know the word. That word is adiaphora. And and write it down, write the definition down, because I think this is very helpful. I'd probably get bad marks in my preaching class for even mentioning this word. But adiaphora means that which is neither commanded nor forbidden. Those issues in life in which we have no clear command either to do it or not to do it. And in life, there are many things that are adiaphora. It's neither commanded nor forbidden, but we like to put up these fences, right? These man-made rules and regulations, and we make that which is adiaphora as if it's actually commanded by God. So we need to be very careful. There is a clear word. It has been given to us in God's word. There we stand. There is something that is not adiaphora. 
It's the fourth commandment. The fourth commandment. And Jesus, in our gospel lesson today, points us to the fourth commandment. He pointed the, the scribes and the Pharisees to the fourth commandment. What is the fourth commandment? Honor your father and your mother. Honor your father and your mother. Luther in the small catechism says this about the fourth commandment. We should fear and love God so that we do not despise or anger our parents and other authorities, but honor them, serve and obey them. How many of you parents say amen? <laughs> How many of you kids say, oh man? <laughs> Jesus said about the fourth commandment, you have a fine way of rejecting the command of God in order to establish your traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. The Jewish people of Jesus' day would dishonor their parents for personal gain. That's what Jesus is talking about, dishonoring parents for personal gain. What was the social security system of Jesus' day? Were the Jewish people issued a social security number with a guarantee that they would receive benefits from the government at a certain age? No. The children were the social security system of the day. And one of the responsibility of children, and still is today, is to care for their ailing parents. And to care for ailing parents requires money. It requires an investment of money to spend on the care of aging parents. The traditions of the elders allowed for the people to set aside money that was so-called dedicated to God, or korban. It would be like you setting aside money for a donation, putting it into a certain account which was set aside for that donation. Now here was the thing. Those who set aside money as korban or dedicated to God were under no obligation to give that money to the temple or to the synagogue. They could actually withdraw it and spend it on themselves. Fourth commandment tells us that we are to honor father or mother. But here many people found a loophole. They found a loophole. And that korban money was a legal loophole. It was money set aside and protected from being spent to care for ailing parents. Therefore, shrewd Jewish people would be freed from their obligation of providing for their parents in their old age. At the heart of the fourth commandment is a very important expectation from God that we do care for our aging parents. That we care for them. 
you are under a holy obligation to your mom and dad. And I love to remind my children of this. You're under a holy obligation, Daniel, Kaylee, Santana, to care for me. Sometimes I ask this question of my kids, say Kaylee or Daniel or Santana. I say when I'm old and in diapers, will you feed me? Will you change me? They laugh. They think that's kind of funny. But one day they won't be laughing. <laughs> one day they won't be laughing because I'm going to get old and they're going to have to feed me and they're going to have to change me. <laughs> As a pastor, I've witnessed many faithful children who care for their parents. It's not an easy thing to do. It's difficult. It's hard. But what a powerful demonstration of biblical Christianity when a child sacrifices to care for their ailing parents. When you care for your mom and dad, you're living out your calling as a Christian. You're living out your calling as a person uh, who claims Christ as Savior. That is a responsibility that has been given to each of us as children. These religious Pharisees had no interest in the true law of God. Their concern was for man-made regulations. And here's why. Legalistic righteousness always has a way of becoming self-serving. It always has a way of becoming self-serving. Not only that, but the, the Jews also attempted to earn salvation by their good works. So they believed that by, by obeying these commandments, that by following these man-made rules and regulations, that they were earning brownie points with God. And that God would accept them because of their good works. So legalistic righteousness has many problems. And one of the problems is it becomes self-serving. Another problem is that it leads to works righteousness, that we earn salvation by our deeds and by our works. Works righteousness. Gaining righteousness by obedience. I hope you know this. Righteousness does not come through the law. Right standing before God does not come through your obedience to the commandments, to the Ten Commandments. Now the commandments are good and right. We're to keep the commandments. But the good and right commandments are not a means of salvation. We are not declared righteous before God by observing the law. It doesn't matter how faithful you are to your parents. Your faithfulness to your parents has absolutely no bearing whatsoever on your salvation. So if the law is not a means of salvation, then... How are we saved? How are we made right with God? How are we declared righteous to stand before a righteous and holy God? Does anything in our text remind us of God's provision for our salvation? 
That was a big question for me as I was preparing the sermon. Is there anything in this text that reminds us of the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ? And this is a tough one. As a preacher, in my ordination, I pledged to preach the gospel. So in every sermon, I proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this text has nothing in it that is what we call gospel. So how do we draw the gospel from this text? Is there something in this gospel or in this lesson that reminds us of the gospel of grace? In a roundabout way, there is something that reminds us of our salvation by grace alone, through faith alone. The washing. The washing does. The washing points us to the grace and the forgiveness that we have received from Jesus Christ. Now, the Jewish people followed the man-made rule of washing hands and utensils. That has nothing to do with our salvation. But the motif or the theme of washing does point us to the gospel of our salvation, which is by grace through faith in Jesus' sacrificial death and resurrection. In what way does it point us there? In the Bible... The scriptures teach us about the reality of us being washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. It is only through the blood of Jesus Christ that we can be saved. That we can be made right with God. And there's an amazing passage in Revelation where it talks about the saints standing before the throne of God. And that is a picture of you. One day you will stand before the throne of God. And this picture in in Revelation says that their robes were white. They were washed white. How were they washed white? How were these robes washed white? They were washed white in the blood of the Lamb. There is a vital washing. It is the most important washing. And that is the washing away of our sins. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful picture of the gospel. That if we sinners who fail to keep the commandments of God, that Christ comes to us, he meets us in his word, he meets us in the sacraments, he comes to us filthy, dirty sinners. And he says, I have provided a way for you to be washed clean. It is through the blood of Jesus Christ. It is through the blood that he shed that your sins are washed away. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you are free today. You are free. You are not free because of of your works or of your actions or of your good deeds, you are free because of one thing, the all-sufficient, the all-availing sacrifice of Jesus Christ for you. And this grace and this mercy which is given to us through the blood of Jesus Christ is powerful. It changes us. And through that grace, we are actually given 
the motivation and the ability to live in obedience to God's commandments. Without, without this, this grace and this mercy which is given to us, we would never be liberated. We would never be made into a new creation in Christ Jesus to go forth and to do good works for the benefit of others. You see, if you haven't been liberated from the cross, you may never see or realize or understand that, that, that this life of love has been given to you to care for your elders. To care for those who need care, whether it's an elder or anybody else. Why is the church to be such a charitable group? It's because of the great love that was given to us in Jesus Christ. And that love, the shedding of his blood, the sacrifice of Jesus, is what transforms us. So that we too love. And that really summarizes the commandments, right? Love is the summary of the commandments. We love. Because he first loved us. We love. Because he gave himself as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you. Uh, we bow before you in humility, accepting, Heavenly Father, the reality of our sinfulness. More importantly, Lord, or just as important, is looking to your Son, Jesus Christ, looking to the cross, looking to the shed blood of Jesus Christ, and knowing that in that we have been washed clean. Our sins have been washed away. We have been liberated. And I ask, Heavenly Father, that that liberty which has been given to us would overflow into the lives of other people and works, and works of love. And works of love that are done in freedom, in joy, with passion, because of what you have done for us. Not works that are trying to earn your approval, but good works that are done for the benefit of our neighbors, for other people, for those who are in need. Help us to see this community. Help us to see the needs within this community, both the community of our congregation and the neighborhood that we live in. And help us to reach out. Give us the motivation and the energy to reach out that all within our congregation and all within our community would experience and know the love of Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.